The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA Foo scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls and a CPA. Michelle, I am glad to be with you. Let's talk about what's going on with us, because I know that you've been doing a lot with uh, hydration, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've kind of um, 
maybe not separately stated, but I'm as all in as I, as I think I can be, or at least have been in about three or four years and figuring out how to get back to, you know, feeling good consistently while running. So I've been working uh, with a registered dietitian that I stayed on a wait list for, for a little while. Um, So I'm really happy with that. And part of the process is um, just figuring out my hydration needs and like my salt needs and obviously hydration and sodium, you know, loss rates while Mm -hmm. I'm running, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I just did a sweat test the last two days, which was really interesting. I obviously don't have the, you know, the sodium results. It is a patch that I put on and, you know, took off and put in a sterile tube and I'm mailing it back to a lab. Mm -hmm. Um, but just the general, you know, I think, um, weight loss from a 45 minute, really easy run. And then again, yesterday I had about a, a 60 minute, uh, I would say it was an easy run, but it had some pickups in it. So maybe a little bit more intensity thrown in there it's a lot. I mean, I think it's looking at about like 37 ounces of sweat, you know, per hour in, and it's been about 45 to 50 degrees here with about 90, right. 95% humidity. So yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's, it's a lot, particularly considering that it's not that warm. Um, and yeah. so, so you ratchet it up and like you said, there's not a whole lot of intensity there. So you ratchet it up 20 degrees you run at half marathon intensity or better, you know, you run at 5k intensity. Um, that definitely is going to cause that number to go through the roof, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, very clearly in in the virtual Boston, just feeling like extremely dehydrated and and feel like, you know, not maybe not never before then, but definitely over the last few years, it's just, it's been a problem. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I went all in really emotionally and financially to work with the registered dietitian is because sometimes so much knowledge is too much knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Like I understand sweat rate. I understand diet. I understand all this type of stuff, but I was at a point where I just needed to be able to step back and let somebody else take control of it and, and really just get rid of all the bullshit and figure out, you know, exactly what we need to be focused on and then what we need to do to fix it. Um, so as an example, you know, for this weekend, (laughs) we're running another trail race and you, you, you and me are, yeah. Looking <laughs> that's forward right. To that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, she was really clear that even though it looks like it's going to be 29 degrees, I Oof. should go out, you know, with <laughs> the soft flasks filled with both water and some type of electrolyte replacement. I've been using scratch hydration, but there's obviously a bunch of other products out there. But after I take those probably after the first hour that, you know, when I switch to water, all of my other fueling aside, I, taking one salt pill, um, per hour that I end up out there. So that's like new and uncharted territory for me. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so I guess we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, my, uh, the beginning of my day every day is, you know, a nutrition tracker and weighing before and after I run. And, um, it'll be good to get these lab results to see kind of what the sodium loss was. Very good. Uh, Very good. I particularly bring up the fact uh, that that you're working on your hydration right now because I've totally blown my hydration over the course of the past three or four days, um, and you can you can actually hear perhaps and my voice is even a little bit hoarse right now, which only happens when I get fairly severely dehydrated, which I managed to do yesterday and today. So super nice job, Darden. I mean, um, 
You also took two cross-country flights in the last seven days, which I, I find I, I incredibly did. dehydrating. So, so I, I flew to California and back, um, and and uh, enjoyed ourselves while we were in California. Had more alcohol than I normally would, and certainly drank less water throughout the course of the day than I normally would. Um, but uh, but then came back on Monday, ran on Monday, or no, rode my bike for about an hour and a half on Monday. Ran on Tuesday for about an hour and then had a, a Zwift race on Tuesday night, as Eric and I have been doing so much. And by the time I got into the latter stages of that Zwift race, I, I was definitely dehydrated. I hadn't done a good job of hydrating after any of those workout, those two prior workouts. Um, so much so that I even had a little bit of a dehydration headache first thing in the morning on Tuesday morning. Um, but uh, but yeah, by the time I got to this morning. Um, I had done everything I could, or at least I felt like I could last night to to rehydrate and still struggling this morning, felt awful this morning, had to to go for a 60 minute bike workout rather than a 90 minute work, bike workout. Um, and then have been drinking everything in sight over the course of the last few hours since, like you said, you and I have another, <laughs> uh, you know, three to four hour trail race this weekend um, that I'm looking forward to, but I definitely don't want to go in there with a big fluid deficit here. So, yeah, um, so we'll I see. Don't think you'll be very happy if you do that, but definitely not. you have a few days to get caught up. So I do. Yeah. So better this happened on, on Monday and Tuesday into Wednesday rather than uh, Thursday and Friday into Saturday. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to running that race with you. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit when we come back next week. It's another 18, 19 mile trail race. <laughs> yeah. What is with this distance? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but evidently you and I really like it because we keep on doing it. So uh <laughs> So, but how so, are there so many trail races that are all the like 18 to 19 mile range? Yeah, There's so yeah. many to choose from. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird, but we're doing yet another one this weekend. So we're doing the the Lookout Mountain race. And once again, we're doing the the short race. We're doing the fun run. Um, the long race this time is the 50 miler, um, which neither one of us are doing. And we're doing the 18 to 19 miler instead, which has one big downhill and one big uphill. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my experience running similar uh, similar location, exact location, maybe about eight weeks ago is the one big downhill is just 2000 feet down. Like it's, there's no stopping. Um, okay. So that was, I did, I did a 12 mile run there and it started just, it just plummeted into you really just go right down into like a valley of sorts and mm -hmm. then you got to get back out. But I think I've said this a hundred times and I'll probably say it as long as I'm a runner, I going down at the beginning of a race like that, where you're just down, 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 you know, 2000 feet is, it just puts, puts you in such a deficit um, unless sure. you're a really good, really efficient downhill runner, which mm -hmm. I'm not. So right. it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and and which it's harder to be when you're actually running downhill on a trail because yeah this is pretty yeah yeah you're having so. to pick your steps or you're having to break you know you're having to turn um things like that whereas if you're just running downhill on the, on the road you can maybe get into a little bit of a groove a little bit better but That's not right. so much here so so yeah um we'll see how it goes and and you know of course we've talked about on this podcast before research bears that out that that running downhill is far more damaging than running uphill causes much more muscle damage than running uphill so Maybe yeah. it's good we're getting that out of the way early. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to to rolling out the endorphin edges for another uh, another another go here. Yeah, it is fun to get to wear them again so soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, you know, both you and I are getting ready for a mountain mist, which I mean, this is 
very much in my mind, these two races that, that you and I have done a couple of weeks ago and now um, are a preparation for that. They're, they're long runs in preparation for the very long run that we're going to be doing in the tail end of January, about a month from now. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to those. Looking forward to those. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the book of the quarter. Don't forget Running Wild Black, Finding Freedom in a Sport That Wasn't Built for Us by Allison Mariella Desir. Um, we're probably, I was trying to think about the last couple of weeks here because suddenly we were in the tail end of 2022, which of course also means we're in the tail end of the quarter, which means we're in the last couple of weeks here for reading of the book of the quarter. Um, so it's probably going to be one of the first couple of podcasts, first one or two podcasts that we do here in uh, in 2023 is going to be discussing that book. Um, and so I do look forward to that discussion. Um, I've uh, I've been reading it lately, and there are definitely some some very interesting things in there for for us to discuss. And so so I'm I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, and then we have a few pieces of news we want to talk about. Um, Last week, you'll recall, we talked about the California International Marathon, and we talked about how we knew some people who qualified for the Olympic trials there and qualified for Boston there. One person we didn't mention, by the way, is this guy from Utah named Riley Cook, who is 41 years old and ran a 217-18 there, which is pretty good. Um, what's more, it's the first time he's ever qualified for the Olympic trials, even though he's 41 years old now. <laughs> and uh, how many times has he tried? He's tried. So... so Oh, it took about a decade. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so so he ran 216 and I want to say 2015. Okay. Um, and so so, but it was at St. George. Um so and which, is, which is two downhill. Eligible. Right, exactly. And so he didn't qualify in 2016, didn't qualify in, in 2020 or 2021, um, because he got rabdo of all things. Um, um, and that kind of destroyed what was supposed to be his target race. Uh, he had to take six weeks off entirely for that. Um, and then he, when he turned 40, he said that he started doing more of the master's championship races. Um, a few of which I did, um, over the course of the last few years. Um, and he won, of course, several of them. And he said that, that doing the shorter, faster races injected some speed into his training that was really missing. Um, and that enabled him to get well under that 218 standard. He ran 217, 217, 18 at CIM, uh, and qualified as a 41 year old. So good for him. Good for him. Pretty awesome. Um, but then we said, so speaking of people who qualify for stuff, we got to talk about Kona because there's some changes to the Ironman World Championship that have been announced over the course of the past couple of weeks. So we want to start with that. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, cool. Um, and so the Ironman World Championship, I know that you actually looked this up a little bit, and I'd always kind of wondered about this. Um they do call it a world championship, even though, is it a world championship? So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I listened to a podcast um, with Andrew Messick on it when Kona basically announced what essentially we want to talk about. They're going to stick to this two-day format, but in 2023, the women are going to race in Kona. And at the time of the announcement, the men were going to race not in Kona. Um, it's kind of rumored to be Nice, but um, Ironman said they would make it official the second week in January. Part of the conversation was talking about like, is this going to deter from a world championship? Are people going to try to create, you know, their own quote unquote worlds for triathlon? And one thing that Andrew said that I don't think a lot of people know, I mean, even like Haley Chura didn't know, and she's, you know, a, a professional triathlete. Um, is that it is a real world championship and it is recognized by the ITU as worlds, both Ironman and the 70.3. Um, he talked about, you know, they went through a very contentious period with what was then the ITU. 
Um, it went into court cases and a legal battle and the resolution of which basically the ITU and by extension, the IOC recognized the Ironman World Championships as a legitimate world championships. Hmm. And this differs because typically the right to host, quote, a world championships is, you know, technically owned by the International Federation of the Sport. Right. But because the Ironman World Championship predates the existence of the ITU, you know, Kona, Ironman World Championship and 70.3 Worlds, like they are recognized as legitimate world championships. That's so even though 2023 is gonna afford women the opportunity to race in Kona and men the opportunity to race somewhere else, both are still technically, like if you're in, you know, Ironman Triathlon 140.6, this is your world championship. Mm -hmm. um, and it is an official world championship. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. And that's, I think that's critical actually. And, and. Oh, I think that's going to save their asses. <laughs> yeah, no, because, because it's funny, like one of the big things. And so, so Michelle mentioned here. So, so in 2022, they actually separated the men's and women's races into two separate days. They had a women's race plus a few of the men's age groups on Thursday. And then they had the remaining men's age groups, including the pro men, on Saturday. So so they spread it out over the course of two days. And by most accounts, that was a really good thing. It was particularly a good thing for the women's race because it put the spotlight directly on them. And the women's race was a brilliant race. Yeah, um, it was competitive. It was compelling. It was exciting. Um, and they didn't have to share the spotlight with with or share the course with a whole bunch of other people. Um, and, and it was fun to watch and it was fun to follow. Um, and then two days later, we got to kind of circle back again, which was a lot of fun. Um, getting to see the men race over the same course, albeit in different conditions, uh, 48 hours later. Um, so they announced that for next year, they want to keep that two day format, but evidently the city of Kailua Kona or, or Hawaii County or whoever it is, that's the governing authority there around the area where they hold the Ironman world championship is just not really on board with having two days. Um, yeah. They said it was overwhelming to their very small community because it isn't a big community. Um, and, and they said that it was, it was overtaxing their, their natural resources, which uh, is obviously something that, that is an important concern. Um, and, and so, Kona said, we need to go back to one day. Well, well, Iron Man was already committed to having two days and had already given out, started giving out slots enough for people to be able to go and fill two days worth of racing. Um, and so, so yeah, what they did announce is that like, like Michelle said, like you just said, it is going to be someplace else. It's going to be a month earlier. It's going to be like the weekend of September 10th, rather than like the weekend of October 10th, which is when it normally is. Um, and then the rumor is that it's going to be in Nice, France. Um, it's gotta be someplace cool. Yeah. Because the one thing that I've always said, and this is what I started to say a minute ago before I decided to, to go back and fill in the details. The one thing that I appreciate about Iron Man with all the stuff that they've gotten wrong over the course of the past decade and all the various other criticisms that they, they've come under over the course of the past decade as they sold and as they moved and as they changed their formats and as they went to time trial starts in the swim and all these various other things um, is that they've always known that Kona is like their trump card. Yep. That's always been the thing that has made them different and perhaps better than any other company that offered 140.6 races. Um, and, and you feel that when you're there, they play it up. They give you all this like special, unique gear 
it's solely for the world championship. Um, they have all these different practices and, and um, rituals that they have in place for Kona that they don't have for any place else. Um, and it's super cool, cool and interesting. And when you go there, you feel like you're in the center of the triathlon universe. And frankly, you are for that week. So yeah, moving it out of Kona is a big deal. The one thing that might save them is that world championship thing, like you said, but I can tell you that's not going to save them if they don't move it someplace cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they got to put it someplace where people are like, well, I don't get to go to Kona, but at least I get to go to Nice or someplace else. You know, they can't be like, oh, well, I don't get to Kona, but at least I get to go to Orlando. Like that's not going to work. Yeah. Right. And the technical logistics of that are not fully known yet. Um, he said that, you know, once they announce the location, they'll also announce whether men who have qualified for 2023, whether even though it's not going to be in Kona, they have to use their qualification for wherever the race is in 2023, or if they'll give them a buy in 2023, because it was announced so late in the year that um, they thought they were qualifying for Kona, but the race isn't going to be in Kona, but the right. men will go back to Kona in 2024. So it'll right. be interesting, you know, to see uh, what that announcement is you know, alongside obviously the announcement of where the race is going to be. Yeah. Yes. Cause yeah. Cause in, tw in 2024, they're going to swap in That's 2024, right. the yeah. women's race is going to be in some other location and the men's race is going to be back in Kona. Um, I mean, do you think this is the new normal? Do you think this is, this is for good or you think they're yeah. just kind of doing this for a couple of years while they work out whatever their no. issues are with, with Kailua Kona? No, I don't get the impression from any of like the female leaders in this sport or Messick himself that they have any intention of going back to a one day event. I mean, they all seem pretty committed as they should be to, you know, equal opportunity for, for women to race uh, triathlon and 140.6. And there is no doubt that, you know, being on Thursday aside, the women having the course to themselves and having their own race and the helicopter up above as Chelsea came to the finish line instead of you almost missed the women's finish because you're on like the 19th guy that finished, you know, I mean, there's, there's just no doubt that women having their own race is, is better. And it really just gives so many more women a chance and even men also a chance to qualify. Just, it just really levels the playing field. I don't think Kona can go back to both races on one day. I think they would, I don't think Ironman can go back to both races on one day. I think they would, they'd just be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They would have to, if they're, if they're, they're, they're limited. There are two reasons why they moved to, to two days. One is because of the number of people that you can put on that course at one time. Um, and so when I did it, it was a one day event in 2012 and 2014, it was a one day event. And there was about 2,400 people in the race. And that's about the maximum for that race. Number one, because of the size of the pier, um, you can't yeah. get a whole lot more bikes in that transition area. And number two, because the number of people that come out of the swim at the same time and therefore get onto the bike course at the same time. And even though over the course of the past several years, they've staggered the starts and they, they've started different age groups, different times, all that sort of thing. You still have just scores and scores and scores of people coming out literally on top of each other in the swim and then getting onto what is a fairly small bike course all at the same time. It's just not manageable to make it any larger than that. And then also you had the fact that that they finally came around to to offering uh, an equal number of slots to pro women um, and an equal number of slots to women more generally and more slots for for women who weren't just pros but also age groupers. And you're right, there's no going back on that. Yeah, um, I mean, and there shouldn't be. They they, they should right. continue to do that because that will in turn 
get more people involved in the sport. Women are going to, you know, right away, they've decoupled the the men's and women's slots at, at races. And a lot of times you just, if you had, you know, a higher percentage of men entered at a race, um, really competitive races, you could have top few triathletes in the world and the women that came in second and third, like they didn't get a cone yeah. slot. And that's yeah. just, you can't go back to that. Not once no. you, you know, not once you took steps to eliminate that, you know, going back to one race one day would, would just be reverting backwards. So for sure. Um, for sure. You know, I, a little, like, I keep thinking, you know, we have friends who like Adam Heiser race in Kona this year and Found, a bunch of, of the ITL, ITL mm-hmm. women are going next mm-hmm. year. And, and I, I don't know if it's selfishly, but I'm like, for them, I'm just, it's fine. I, the changes. And I think Ironman and, and the triathletes, you know, everything will just become the new normal, but I'm happy for Adam. I guess that he got to go to Kona this year and then yeah. the women get to go to Kona next year. Yeah. Um, I feel like they both just kind of knocked their, their Kona spots out of the park in terms yeah. of both getting to race there. So for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. They were able to slide right in there. So yeah, yeah. good for them. Yeah. So. Some of the, some of the names we dropped on the, on the podcast before, like Jody Sindelar and Crystal Andrews, they, they qualify for Kona for next year and they'll get to compete in Kona at the world championship there, which yeah, is that's good. Awesome. Uh, yeah, which is very cool, which is very cool. One person who will not be in Kona or in Nice um, or wherever it is the other one ends up being is Mike Riley, the so-called voice of Iron Man. <laughs> um, how's that for a segue, Michelle? Come on, give me props. I thought you were going to go a different way with that. I thought you were going to say, but she might also be racing a different triathlon of her own. But was we can do be, Mike first. <laughs> it was going to be Gwen Jorgensen because we're going to talk about Gwen Jorgensen in just a second here. Yeah, we got to talk about all of our triathlete stuff all at one time here. But no, Mike Riley, um, who is a celebrity inside of Iron Man for sure, um, and then a, uh, a celebrity uh, uh, inside triathlon and endurance sports more generally as well. The so-called voice of Iron Man. Um, he announced his last race this past weekend at Ironman New Zealand. Um, he had announced his... He doesn't like to use the word retirement, but effectively that's what it is. Um, right. what he's, is it? he's he's probably in his mid seventies. He also doesn't like to talk about how old he is. And I really looked for it to try and figure out how old he was, but he's probably in his mid seventies, a little bit younger than my parents. He has two kids that are in their upper thirties. How about that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he's probably somewhere in his mid seventies. Um, and so he uh, announced um, earlier this year that Ironman Arizona was going to be his last North American Ironman. He lives in California. Um, and the Ironman New Zealand was going to be his last Ironman period. Um, so he, uh, it's kind of funny. I never knew this until I started reading all these various things about his retirement. He got into announcing at races because he was a runner. Um, and way back in 1989, uh, he was supposed to run a local 10K just in California where he lived. And, and the, uh, he got injured as runners do. Um, and the person, the race director says, well, why don't you announce the race instead? And he's like, all right. Um, and so he got on the <laughs> mic and announced the race and was like super bubbly and positive and like getting everybody fired up and stuff like that. And actually clearly had like a skill for it, a talent for it. Um, and so a few weeks later, the same, the same race director is having another race. And he says, Mike, you did such a great job at this other race. Why don't you come and do this race as well? <laughs> and he said, he said, well, I'm not injured anymore. I actually want to run this race. And the guy said, okay, how about I pay you for it? <laughs> and he's like, all right, you're going to pay me for it. You, you think about those things that are seemingly minor at the time that current turn out to be pretty significant. Um, uh, and then over time, he ended up 
putting all of his eggs in that basket, became a full-time race announcer. Um, they they said that that he eventually probably said, you are an Ironman to 350,000 different athletes over the course of the uh, you know 30 plus years that he was announcing your Ironman. That phrase, you are an Ironman, they said he first used it in Ironman San Diego. Uh, in 1991, he was starting to get into announcing. So he knew he needed a catchphrase, but he didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and he had a friend that was doing Ironman San Diego. And he had said to the friend, we was trying to pump him up before the race. Hey, man, you're going to be an Ironman. Hey, man, get excited. You're going to be an <laughs> Ironman. And then when his friend crossed the line, he goes, you're an Ironman. And the crowd just went nuts. And he was like, that's the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, and then, like I said, he said it to 350,000 various people, including me. He said it to me four times. Um, so, so pretty cool. Um, Ironman Cozumel, the first Ironman I did, he was not the announcer there, but Ironman Coeur d'Alene, Ironman Wisconsin, and the two times I did Kona, he was the announcer at all four of those. So, um. so will there be like a new Mike Riley or will it be more race country specific? Do you think? I think it'll probably be a little bit more country specific. I mean, his yeah. son, he, he was sort of grooming his son a little bit and his son does some of it as well. I know now too, but his son also just runs sort of a general, race events company and so he doesn't do like full-time announcing or anything like that um but yeah the the race in Cozumel that was actually a local um who did it um and she was great um um but yeah it's funny I uh because he was such a celebrity inside the world of, of Ironman he was also always the MCs of the dinners so you have dinner the Ironman they, they get together and bring everybody together two nights beforehand and they'll go over the rules and stuff like that. But they also will do things like, who's our oldest competitor? Who's our youngest competitor? Um, all that sort of thing. He was always the MC of all those things. Um, and I actually remember really well at Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 2012, um, I was in the 35 to 39 age group. And and he was going through and he said, yeah, our largest age group is a 35 to 39 year old men. So if you want to qualify for Kona from that age group, good luck. And then I did. <laughs> And I had that phrase, like I had him saying that in my head, like when I was on the run course catching people and all that sort of thing. And then 2013 at Ironman Wisconsin, we're at the dinner again, and he's speaking and emceeing again. Um, and he said, "Okay, the largest age group here is the uh, the the uh, 35 to 39 men. If you're looking to qualify for Kona out of that age group, good luck." Um, and so, so he literally went back to the same joke, and I was like. It's like my good luck charm. And sure enough, I qualify for Kona again at Wisconsin. <laughs> so that's, it's funny because I don't necessarily have him frozen in my head as saying you are an Ironman to me, you know, George Darden, you are an Ironman. Um, but I have but him frozen have in my other. head as, exactly, as saying, saying good luck qualifying for Kona with that group. And then I did <laughs> twice. Um, so, so yeah, um, he has, he has parlayed that into lots of other ventures. You know, he was one of the founding members of active.com. Um, which I've used to sign up for, I don't know how many races over the course of the years. Um, but interestingly, and this is the last thing we'll say about him. He actually never did an Ironman himself. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, he was a runner and he continued to be a runner, but he always said that he never, her son said that he never wanted to do an Ironman himself. Cause that would mean he would give up the announcing gig to somebody else. Um, and then he might and lose it. it. Exactly. And then he might lose the gig. <laughs> 
I mean, and then by, by the time he felt confident enough about him, he was in his 60s and 70s. He probably didn't want to do one by that point. So, yeah, you know, that's its own form of being a competitive athlete right there. Exactly. Right. Well, dude, he would I mean, people start arriving on site at an Ironman at, you know, 435 o'clock in the morning. The race would, would, would start at seven and he would be out there on the microphone and he'd be speaking very softly saving his voice for later on it's but a long then, day on the mic <laughs> yeah and then by the end of the day by midnight he'd be out there jumping around and dancing and and swinging towels and high-fiving people and and all sorts of stuff so yeah it's pretty um, cool i nearly tackled him in iron man wisconsin as well um <laughs> i i crossed the finish line and uh and my legs were so stiff um that i couldn't really and it's a slight downhill into the finish line that i couldn't really stop myself because my legs were so stiff and i kind of reached out to give him a high five and then almost fell directly into him but was able somehow to course correct and and just narrowly miss him so um yeah fortunately we're, we're, we're telling this story today about his retirement rather than telling a story about uh some random guy who took him out back in 2013 so <laughs> i'm sure you uh would not have been the first and certainly weren't the last so, so that's a good point that's very true that's very true so best wishes to mike riley um in whatever is next for him i hope he enjoys his non-retirement um, right. <laughs> somebody he will never say you're an iron man to is gwen jorgensen gwen jorgensen <laughs> Cannot get away from Gwen Jorgensen. So there's your segue. So Gwen Jorgensen was back in the news this week. Tell us why, Michelle. Uh, as most listeners probably know, Gwen is the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in triathlon. She retired from triathlon after she went gold in Rio and, you know, made the, the commitment to become a professional runner, but not only you know, not only be committed to being just a professional runner, but that she was going to win the marathon gold in the 2020 Olympics. So right. nobody had a problem with, you know, Gwen retiring from triathlon. Nobody had a problem with Gwen becoming a professional runner and running full time. Um, everybody. And I think this has <laughs> plagued her and will continue to plague her for the rest of her career. Everybody had a problem with her saying She's going to be the Olympic marathon gold medalist in Tokyo yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, it brought an immediate backlash from, you know, endurance sport participants and fans, you know, worldwide. I mean, especially here in America, it, it was said and put out there in a way that really just undermined, you know, a lot of these other professional runners in a lifetime of work that they've put into the marathon. It was just like this nonchalant, well, I'm going to be the marathon gold medalist. Um, mm -hmm. So that was six years ago. And really what happened is she never did really good being a professional runner. She doesn't have anything, you know, in terms of remarkable times. She never really figured out the marathon. She barely ran the marathon, honestly, because she couldn't stay healthy. Um, she had a second child about, I don't know, maybe nine months ago. Yeah, I was going to say she had two kids along the way. She had mm -hmm. two kids along the way. Um, and about nine months ago, she had her second child and her second child, whose name was George, George, George okay. Jorgensen. <laughs> <laughs> and yesterday she announced formally with USA triathlons help um, curating the announcement that she is returning to triathlon mm -hmm. and she has her sights set on winning a gold medal in Paris, 2024. If you read the fine print, um, she has her sights set on being part of the relay team, which took silver in Tokyo 
and believes that she can be the one to elevate them to take gold in Paris 2024. Right. So a little bit, this is just like everybody who I've spoken to about it. It's just like, oh, come on. This is a little bit of like deja well, it's, vu. It's, 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 yeah, I was going to say it's deja vu. It's a little bit of that that same reaction that a lot or of people like, inside the running community had when she said, I'm going to win the gold in 2016 but, or 2020 in the marathon. Yeah, but also you're way better at triathlon. You were always going to be better at triathlon and you just missed four years of getting better at triathlon while we have a whole new slew of characters just dominating the hell out of, you know, Olympic triathlon, Olympic distance triathlon. Um, so I think the reaction, at least from where I sit as a fan of both, you know, women's professional running and triathlon at, at all distances is like, are you crazy? <laughs> like you're, you can't, you, do you have any idea what your current competition is? Yeah. Um, I mean, but I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, I said a few years ago, a couple years ago on this podcast that I was going to quit cr uh, criticizing Gwen Jorgensen because a lot of the criticism of her had kind of moved into some real misogynistic ugliness. Um, and so so I'm I'm not going to going to I'm going to try not to be party to that um, as I as I promised that I wouldn't be. Not that you are, Michelle. I'm not trying to get on to you for that at all. Um, but but I do think that that um, I had a few thoughts. The first thought is, is that wow, like whoever is in charge of her PR, be it USAT or be it her husband, who is also her agent or whoever, really didn't learn a lesson from 2016 they should have learned about how to make an announcement in terms of what you're going to do and what you want to do. There's just, I I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that she has to have humility. I think that that privately it's okay to to have uh, to, to be, to have a lot of swagger. And in fact, sure. if you're going to be a successful pro athlete, you probably need to have that. You have um, to. <laughs> but, but, but I think that, that she should have probably demonstrated a little bit more public humility, particularly given that she should have learned this lesson back in 2016. Um, for, for exactly the reason you said, she, she can't just go back and just resume where she was after she was such a world beater in 2016. She can't just pick up right where she left off, you know? Oh. Um, I mean, personally, I think that that you know she left triathlon back in 2016, and I said this at the time, and I still think it's true for two reasons. Number one, because she just liked running better. Um, she hated swimming, um, That's right. and and she actually said that she was like, I cannot imagine getting back in the water again. Um, she said that in her press release just the other day. She that that I just don't like swimming. Yeah, I get it. I don't either. Um, and so she says, I grew up a swimmer, but I just really don't like getting in the water. I've said it many times on this podcast, not even swimmers like swimming. So, so that is, that is completely understandable here. Um, um, but then I think also she wanted to start a family and she felt like running would be more conducive to that. It would give her more time. It would give her less travel. Um, it's simpler and more straightforward, perhaps, um, at least it was in her mind, um, than all the various things that you have to juggle in order to be successful in triathlon. Um, and, and so she had the family um, and that's great. Yep. You know, she, she, she has two sons now, um, both of which are healthy and, and, and they're raising both of them. And so, you know, I hope that in a grand scheme of things, she doesn't regret having let triathlon because in my opinion, one of the goals was to enable her to have a family and she's not done that. Um, and yeah. so, so it's successful in that regard, but that being said, um, there's a degree to which maybe she shouldn't have ever left, you know? Um, she might have been better off strictly from as a pro athlete had she never actually left triathlon. Yeah, I'm also just a little bit 
concerned. Well, I'll say two things. One, you know, she mentioned in, in the press release that she's inspired by some of the other, you know, moms who have had babies in triathlon, Nicola, and obviously Chelsea uh, winning Ironman. Um, but it just seems like inauthentic is for her to say that as an afterthought, like, oh, well, I've seen these other women have babies and I'm inspired by them because on one hand, she's like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be on the team that wins a gold medal. And on another, she's like, well, I'm inspired by these women and I want to work hard and I want to follow in their footsteps. Um, but the other thing I'll say is the bigger fear, I think, and I think we were talking about this with, uh, friend of the podcast, Justin Dugan, is that she gets a lot more attention. Like she's even just the announcement that she's returning, like USA triathlon picked the date in which she makes the announcement. And she's going to get a lot more attention than some of the other up and comers who really should have the media attention and honestly, the sponsorship money. And, but what are you going to do? She's like a, you know, previous Olympic gold medalist, and she's returning to the sport. So it's this big storyline going into Paris. And it's frustrating. Like, I don't want that to be the storyline for USA triathlon, I guess is what I'm saying. And that's, that's my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. And I understand it's a little harsh, but <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I, 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 I think it's a little harsh, but I think it's understandable. And I think people are being a lot harsher out there. Um, and so, so I, I think it's okay. Um, she did, she ran a 1508 5k or 5,000 meters on the track. She ran a 3155, 10,000 meters. She ran a 110 high half marathon. She ran a 235 marathon. Um, and so and if you, if you actually chart those out, the the shorter distances were where she was most she was most successful at the 5k 5000 way better yeah yeah and so so maybe that maybe that suggests that that um she's going to be better off doing these the short things you have to do the very short stuff you have to do for the uh for the relay um maybe that's kind of what she has in mind there sure um, but let's just be yeah. clear that the med the caliber of an olympic gold medalist in the marathon oh, I, yeah no yeah, a 235 no, marathon. I mean, you had yeah. 30 women run a 235 marathon like a week and a half ago. Maybe yeah, not no. fully 30. Yeah, no, when it came to the marathon, to she was never close. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of what I'm saying is that she was all she that that if you look back over the course of her five-year professional running career, she she actually turned out to be a far better 5,000 meter runner than she did in it being a marathoner. Um, as it turns out. Um, but uh well, but 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 good yeah. luck to her. Yeah, good luck to her for sure. I mean You're gonna be busy. <laughs> I, 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 for sure, for sure. I think she is, um, I think she's going to get fitter. I mean, one of the things that, that I said for the last several years is that she should have never stopped training like a triathlete. I agree um, with you. I think that, that the, the first and perhaps the biggest mistake that she made was joining Byron track club. Um, Jerry Schumacher shouldn't have been her coach. Um, because they just said, oh, you want to be a runner? Well, here's what we do as professional runners and just kind of threw her into that system. Um, she should have had somebody who understood running, but also understood, you know, cross training and, and triathlon and that sort of thing. She had, should have had somebody like Matt Dixon be her coach. Um, yeah. and, and I think she ultimately probably would have been more successful even at just running, um, had she continued to, to, uh, train more like a triathlete. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the multi-sport is going to help her to stay healthy mm -hmm. at a far greater chance than right. when she was trying to just pound out the mileage running because right. that did not, right. she was never healthy. Right. And as we know, you know, being healthy and being consistent, I mean, that's the golden rule. That's what you have to do. Yeah. You know? That's, that's, that's the most important thing. So, um, 
I do. I, I would like to see her do well. Um, and, and I do think, again, I, I think it's important to keep in mind that if one of the reasons why she left, and it is one of the reasons why she left, um, was to have kids and start a family. I mean, she did that. And so that's right. good. And so so I, I, I hope that that I hope that she doesn't look back on the last five years as like a failure and as a giant mistake. Um, I know that it's being portrayed that way in a lot of places. Um, and and maybe it was a partial failure and maybe it was in part a mistake. Um, but I think to the degree that one of her major goals was to actually have kids and start a family, she did that. Um, so making this change enabled her to do that. And that's good. It's interesting when you say you hope she doesn't regret looking back because in my mind, I'm thinking, does she actually really want to do this? Like, does she mm-hmm. really want to go back to triathlon and try to get back to an Olympic level? Like she tried the running. It didn't work. She's got these two kids. They could fill plenty of her time. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to have to manage, you know, uh, still breastfeeding she is so this is not you know this is not like a, a baby that's now turning toddler i mean she's very much still in a bit of the postpartum phase with trying to get back into olympic form and i don't know what 15 months from now yeah well and she actually has to qualify much sooner right. than that yeah she, so. she she basically has to be racing near top form this summer um, um in the next few months what do you think about her training under jamie turner we'll see We'll yeah. see. I, I I don't know a ton about Jamie Turner and, and certainly don't know enough to really offer an informed opinion on it. What do you think? I, I like the, I like purple patch fitness athletes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he does a good mm-hmm. job. I think it's, yeah. gosh, I just, it's so different than, you know, the Najeri Schumacher, I would say. Mm-hmm. And and that's, know. and that in purple patch, that's, that's, that's Matt Dixon. He, that's Matt Dixon. Yeah. That's who I was just talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's the, the founder of purple patch. And so, so yeah, I mean, to to the degree that 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 his approach informs the overall organization, which I imagine that it does, I think it's probably going to. Yeah, be I mean, I think in terms of the decision to go to Bowerman, the decision to move to Boulder and train, and then the decision to return to triathlon, but going to Jamie Turner, I think is like if she's going to do it, I think that's based on you know my limited knowledge. Of course, that's a that's a good choice. So good. yeah, very good, very good. Best wishes, Gwen. Um, we will be cheering for you. Um, all right. Last thing we're going to talk about, because we tend to focus very heavily on on running here, we have to talk about running, right? So we, we've had three <laughs> stories and they're all about... <laughs> I don't know. All, There's all probably a group of people out there that are like, you don't have to talk about running. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, I... I, I uh, don't follow triathlon as closely as as I used to, and as closely as you do, as a matter of fact, um, and and certainly not as closely as our friend Justin Dugan. Um, um, but but yeah, we we it's funny when I used to do more triathlons, we used to talk a lot more about triathlons. But since I don't really do them anymore, uh, since I don't do them anymore at all, we don't tend to talk <laughs> about them all that much. So yeah, um, you fill a podcast with runners as hosts, and and alas, <laughs> you end up talking more about running. Imagine that. Uh, Gosh. But, Let's talk about USATF. Um, so USA Track and Field, of course, the governing body for track and field here in the United States. Um, two things we want to say about them. Um, let's start with a simple one, and that has to do with the selection of the marathon trials location. So we talked about it about a month or so ago on this podcast that the trials for the 2024 Olympic Games uh, are were awarded to Orlando. Um, and we haven't seen the course yet. We don't know exactly where it is, but, um, but Orlando's 
the place that you and I and probably several other people from the Atlanta area are going to road trip to in order to watch those Olympic trials in early 2024. Um, and I look forward to seeing that. But turns out it wasn't quite that straightforward. No. And this is still very much uh, like an up and coming story to be updated. But we found out, I don't know, maybe a day or two ago um, that, you know, at the USATF board meeting in October, um, the board issued quote, an advisory vote of approval for the 2024 USATF US Olympic Trials Marathon bid to be awarded to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, mm -hmm. end quote. The The vote was unanimous um, mm -hmm. that the trials should be held in Chattanooga, should be given to Chattanooga. But as we all found out, you know, on November 8th, when USATF announced the trials location, they announced it as Orlando, Florida. So now, of course, there's a whole drama that's ensuing about, well, if we have a board to make these decisions and they voted unanimously and they chose Chattanooga, then why does, you know, then then how the do we end USATF up at Orlando? get to come in and give it to Orlando? Right. Um, and this this is not good for Max Siegel. I mean, he's the head of USATF. He's already, you know, being squandered in the news about his salary and you know, other mishaps over the last two years. And, and honestly, um, I will say that this is a similar situation to the controversy that ensued in 2016 over the trials being held in LA because the board voted for the trials to return to Houston. And Max came out and he gave the trials to LA. Like he overrode the board's decision. And it was an absolute disaster for the athletes. Yeah. Um, the city wasn't prepared. It was a hot day. The athletes suffered, like unequivocally suffered. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not saying that's going to happen in Orlando. I think, you know, Track Shack is much more equipped to put this race on than LA Roadrunners was, but it's just bad. It's bad for USATF. There's, I just sometimes think it's almost time to just burn it down and start over. <laughs> is yeah. that extreme? <laughs> uh, well, on that note, you know, there is a heptathlete that may well burn it down. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, yeah, the other reason why USATF was in the news this week is because there's a heptathlete named Talia Brooks, who is one of the best heptathletes in the United States, um, who has filed suit against USATF. Um, she was competing in the uh, Olympic trials um, in the summer of 2021, you'll recall, of course, that the 2020 Olympic Games were put off till 2021. And you'll also recall that they were in Eugene, Oregon. And Eugene, during the stretch of time that they had the Olympic trials on the track there, um, had the hottest temperatures in the city's recorded history. Um, and the heptathlon, which is, of course, seven events spread out over the course of two days, the first day it was 108 degrees and the second day it was 111 degrees. Um, and there were some estimates of the temperature of the actual track was 150 degrees. Um, and so you're talking about just a massively sweltering environment in which um, these uh, women heptathletes were having to do an event after an event after event after event after event, right? Um, so the heptathlon is not like the shorter events, like the sprints or the 400 down and all that sort of thing, where you, or even field events where you kind of do it and you're done. The heptathlon, you have to do an event and you have to recover and you have to warm up and stay warm. You kind of keep on going all day long, right? Um, and and so Talia Brooks um, uh, on the second day um, uh, ended up collapsing 
Um, she was subsequently ho hospitalized um, and that threw her off enough um, that it ended her season. Um, and her lawyers say that it ultimately affected her for, quote, for probably about another year, unquote, they mm -hmm. said. Um, and, and because of that, she has filed suit against USATF. Um, now, the suit actually has two parts. And this is what I think is super interesting. The first part um, has to do with the waivers the athletes actually sign. So she reached out to USATF before she ever filed suit against them and said, look, we asked you to actually move these this event to cooler times a day and you ignored that you refused to do it you wanted to keep it right at the hottest part of the day in the hottest ever recorded temperatures in eugene history um um you refused to do that and because of that because my body was thrown off because i collapsed as part of it i think that you owe me some compensation or some sort of of recognition that that you should have have heeded our petition um USATF wrote back to her and said, yo, you signed a bunch of waivers. We have all these waivers that you had to sign saying that we weren't going to be responsible if you got injured or even if you died, um, that that wasn't going to be our fault. And so the first part of the lawsuit is actually about those waivers, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, you and I signed a waiver to do that race this weekend, right? Um, and and Essentially, what her lawyers are arguing is that those waivers from USATF should be illegal. They said right. Talia Brooks, as a professional triathlete or professional heptathlete, has no way of making an Olympic team and thereby making a, a living except by taking part in the Olympic trials. And so by forcing her to sign that waiver in a meet in which she has to compete, right. that, that's backing into a corner from which she has no escape. Um and therefore, I, the contract itself should be illegal. Yeah, from the judicial side of this, I'm way more interested in whether uh, the court finds that, you yep. know, the athletes having to sign these waivers is actually illegal. Me too. That's I, I care. I care more about that. Um, Me too. So, and, that and has, obviously, that has huge ripple effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean that 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 could affect like literally the entire way that not just USATF but the the race management business goes about its work. You know. Um, and, and it wouldn't simply be a decision that was made and then would automatically apply to peak fitness or, or whatever the event management company is here in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. Um, but it would certainly be something that, that everybody who's putting on a race would have to start keeping in mind a little bit more. Um, the second part of the lawsuit is, is okay. So if they do in fact nullify that contract, they do in fact nullify that waiver, um, can she then say that USATF, by setting aside the petition of the athletes, um, was endangering them and therefore they are uh, responsible for some financial compensation to her? Um, since, after all, because she was forced to compete in this environment, uh, she was not able to continue in her season and she was not able to to make an income for probably almost a year, they said. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I'm not a lawyer and... I would assume that no, I, if she gets past round one, USATF will move to settle round two very fast because to the degree to which USATF has moved, you know, time, location for other events because of the heat, I cannot imagine they have even a pinky toe to stand on if she gets to round two. Right, right. So, I but agree. we'll see. 
I so. agree too. And they'd be able to read the tea leaves as well, that if the judge decided against them on what to me is the difficult question, that's question number one. Sure. The judge is certainly going to discredit <laughs> rule well, against yeah. them in, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in number two, right? Or the jury or whoever it happens to be. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure exactly what the setup of the trial would be. Um, but but yeah, um, we'll see. I, I, I am very interested to see how it goes about. So, so yeah, you want to talk about something that could potentially burn USATF down? I mean, this could not sure. necessarily burn it down, but it could cause a pretty significant paradigm shift inside of yeah. that organization. The, the only Debbie Downer of this for me, and it's it's not really fair that this is the way it is, but I think that it is going to be the way that it is, is that she has a really good shot of winning USAs and making that team for Paris. Mm-hmm. But by engaging in this, she now has to you know, withstand both training as a sport and navigating life with lawyers in the legal system and going up in a fight with like the governing agency of her sport, of her country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, but but isn't, isn't that kind of exactly the point though, that like, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, I know, but (laughs) in my mind, she she shouldn't have to, to literally go through the avenue that, 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 of a company that she's suing for doing wrongdoing against her. Right. Um, in order to be able to achieve her professional aspirations. If my life's dream was to make the Olympic team, I would have put my head down and trained for Paris and then filed the lawsuit in fall of 2024. Yeah, this maybe. is, you know, coming maybe. from someone who's <laughs> spent the last several months engaged with lawyers on various things. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it can just be all encompassing. Um, for sure. I think it's going to take away her ability to really train at a top level, but I guess we'll find out yeah. in what June, 2024. So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. We'll, we'll continue to follow, follow the story, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and, and we will find out indeed. All right, Michelle, this okay. weekend, we yeah. got this race two hours away, starts at seven thirty in the morning. What's your plan? Are you going to spend the night up there or what? Well, we first got to figure out what we're wearing <laughs> <laughs> because it's going to be 29 degrees. Oh my God. It was, um, it was 45 degrees when I was dropping on my son at the bus stop today. And even that felt just freezing cold. So we'll, well see. So yeah, we'll see. So, all right. All right. All right. Very good. I look forward to talking about it more next week. Thank you for being with me, Michelle. All right. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here4slayrx, that's the number four, slayrx, Twitter, at official slayrx, and Instagram, here for slay rx the number four slay rx discount code pleasant 22 on behalf of michelle frank patrick ollinger and eric hall i'm george darden thanks for listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast